Blake? Thank you, Blake. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Well, my name is Janelle. I'm Matt. This is Matt. Hi. <laughs> uh, not only are Matt and I married, but we both work here together at Eastgate. Matt's the worship leader. You saw me doing that a second ago. <laughs> and uh, I'm the admin pastor here. I'm also in charge of the Kidsgate program. Oh, yeah, get that. That's important. <laughs> so before we get started in the teaching today, I have a question for you, Matt. I'm ready. <laughs> if you could know the exact day and time that you were going to die, would you want to know? And why? Okay, so I might have a surprising answer. Yes. Okay. I would want to know. Um, I am a very, like, this might surprise some people. I'm a very, like, organized person. I like to know what's coming. I like to know when it's coming. Um, I have that in common with my mother-in-law. We are very like, hey, what, what's coming up? I want to be prepared, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like if I knew the day, uh, if I knew how long I had left, I'd be like, okay, so I, I have time to take a nap or, you know, <laughs> I only got so much time. I need to, you know, binge watch Star Wars again or whatever. Like, <laughs> That's where my priorities are. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I would want to know, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I would not want to know. That seems, I don't know. I'm not interested in that. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of, like, the death clocks. Have you heard of that? Have you all heard of that? So, no, you haven't? Okay, so no. that's, like, it's kind of a made-up thing, but you can go online and, like, put in your personal info, and it'll have, like, a guess about how many days you have left. Oh. So you like put whether you exercise and different things like that. No. Yeah. <laughs> what else? So my mom's smartwatch has this setting where it automatically it's showing her her death clock, like the days she has left every time she checks the time. So it's like dinner's almost ready and I have 8,000 days left. <laughs> and that feels really spooky to me. Like I know it's not real. Like it's not real science. It's just more of a gimmick than anything. Yeah, I... Now that you're saying it, maybe I don't want to know. <laughs> Honestly, making it real, I'm like, oh, maybe not. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not real science. Not real, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah it's not real science or anything like that. I mean, even real science doesn't know for sure. They're still guessing as well. Um, but today's passage that we're talking about with Jesus is he's saying that he's aware that he's about to go through suffering and he's aware that this is the last meal that he's sharing with the disciples. And there's something about that of like, what would that feel like to know the exact moment and way that you're going to die? Like he actually had an accurate countdown for what he was about to do. Yeah. So last week, uh, Rob was teaching about um, Judas and how he turned over Jesus uh, to the high priest. Uh, we learned that the high priest paid Judas uh, an insulting amount of 30 pieces of silver. Obviously, 30 pieces of silver to us probably doesn't mean anything, but just know, like, it wasn't much then. It's obviously even less now. Um, and so it became, it's so really, we learned about this story of corruption, it's hypocrisy, betrayal. Um, and I think what's interesting is that it's especially heartbreaking because these were all people that we would have considered, quote unquote, the good guys. It would have been Judas who would have been one of his best friends, turning him over to uh, the high priests who were supposed to be God's people. So it's it's not just, you know, mustache twirling villains. Like these are people who we, you know, would normally trust. Yeah, exactly. And um, and one thing that was interesting is Judas was such a key role in betraying Jesus because the high priest needed to get to Jesus at a time where the crowds were not around. The high priests were really, really scared of the crowds. And 
really were more interested in what the crowds thought of them than what God thought of them. And that was another heartbreaking aspect to the whole story. So we're going to pick up where we left off. We're in Luke chapter 22, and we're going to read just verse 7 before we move Yeah, on. if you want to follow, us, follow along with us. We're... my seat. I'm not leaving. I'm, just, oh. I'm really far in front of you. Yeah, I miss you. Okay. All right, hey. here we go. Now the festival of, of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Uh, we're actually going to stop he- right here for just a second uh, and I'm, uh, because I have a question. Yeah. Um, what is the festival of unleavened bread? <laughs> uh, obviously, to be clear, I obviously know. I'm very smart. But there might be people here who don't. So um, maybe you should explain it, again, not to me, to other people, uh, what, this, what the festival of unleavened bread is. Okay, so the festival of unleavened bread is the same thing as Passover. Perfect. Totally know what that is as well. Um, but again, maybe people don't. You should explain what the Passover is for people as well. Okay, so Passover is when the Israelites... Um, are all of the Jewish people are celebrating their exodus from slavery from Egypt way back when with Moses. So that's an annual um, tradition and time that they get together. It's a holiday. Or, yeah, it's, it's a, but it's like a week-long thing. And this is, I think, towards Hall the end week. of it. Yeah, sure. So it's a, it's a story that we can find in the book of Exodus with Moses and leading the Israelite people out of slavery. And it's something that if you haven't read that book, you could also watch the Prince of Egypt movie that gets you to you in about an hour and a half. Which has songs. Yeah, catchy tunes. I would say the movie has some inaccuracy, so, you know, I wouldn't bet on it. But it's good, you know, to get the, the point across. In fact, you're wearing a shirt. Okay, so oh. if I had no voice... The dance group, I mean, does it matter? Nope, I'm, I'm modeling now. Okay. <laughs> so there's, there's a dance group that uses the Eastgate building during the week to practice for dance. And in the spring, they did a Prince of Egypt show where they did the songs and the music from that. And you actually played Moses. I did. And so Matt was I up did. there with a robe and like a staff pretending to part the water. And it was me and a bunch of children. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting. Yeah, you were the only adult. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. They asked him to do it, by the way. It wasn't like he was like... I gotta be in this. I pushed down the other Moses. <laughs> this is my time to shine. No, but I thought it was interesting because I had several people come up to me afterwards, being like, "Was that? Was that Matt? He looked different. Was he wearing makeup? What was going on with his face? Why couldn't I recognize?" Yeah, him? Some people that are you're here normally. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was nothing. All I did was take my glasses off, and it was like <laughs> a different person was on stage. Like they did not know who I was. I mean, I guess here, do I look? <laughs> Where's Matt? So, so you know how we all make fun of, like, Superman comics? Like, oh, how could those people have not recognized Clark Kent and Superman? Clearly the same person. I was definitely one of those people, like, yeah, that's a stupid, that's just a plot thing. And then literally I did it, and I was like, oh, well, maybe. Maybe this makes sense. I, literally my phone didn't even recognize it. Like, I was trying to pull my phone out, and it was like, we don't know you. You're a thief. You're a thief, that's right. So, so Matt, what do you know about the Passover story, like with Moses? So... <clears throat> From what I understand, the Israelite, this is very scary for me because we didn't write this part down and I'm just doing it off the top of my head. And Rob's here. He wasn't supposed to be here. He showed up. <laughs> so <laughs> we should ask him. No, uh, no. So the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptian people and Moses, who was an Israelite, uh, was actually adopted into the Egyptian royal family. And uh, one day uh, he came across a burning bush who talked to him, you know, how it, how it goes, how we all do that and uh and told him hey maybe we shouldn't uh maybe your people shouldn't be enslaved and so he goes to pharaoh and says hey um i've decided i don't like this you should you should maybe set my people free and 
Pharaoh's like, nah, I'm good. I, 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 I like the free labor. And Moses says, okay, I don't think it's going to look good for you, though, if you don't, because God's going to send 10 plagues. And Pharaoh's like, whatever. So each plague, he kind of, Pharaoh's like digs his heel, heels in, you know. There's what? Uh, blood, in the, blood in the water. There's dead cows. There's a lot. Bugs, all that stuff. Frogs, thank you. Um, see, you guys should be answering this. And then, uh, and then the last plague he uh, goes uh, uh, is, is the death of the firstborn son of each family. And uh, the way that uh, the Israelites, um, the, 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 an angel of death would come down and, and kill the firstborn son. It's a very dark story. I don't know why we tell this story to children. Um, <laughs> But uh, but and, and but the Israelites were saved by putting the blood of the sacrificial lamb over their their door, so that then the angel of death would pass over their house. Yeah. Um, and then this is when it became real to the Pharaoh, and he because his own son was one of the one of the uh, sons that died, and so um, that was when he finally said, "Okay, fine, please go." Get out of here. So is yeah, that yeah, and that, right? that last plague was especially devastating. I mean, it says in the Bible you can hear wailing throughout all of Egypt. I mean, every single person that was not believing in God at that time, every family was affected by that. It was devastating. One of the things we learned about in our small group uh, that we did this spring for Bible history was it was talking about an Egyptian history that Pharaoh is listed as existing, and it's also listed that his firstborn son died. Now, it doesn't say from a plague, you know, the Egyptian history doesn't, but I did think that was interesting. But yeah, there's a, there was a sense of urgency that when this happened, it was go time. God tells the people, do not put yeast in your bread, let it rise and bake as usual. Like mix your dough together, mix it with some water, make some crackers for the road because we got to go, we got to move. And it's one of those things that I feel like this story is so important to knowing so that's where the unleavened bread comes that's from. the that's where the festival of unleavened bread comes from exactly and that's where we learn that these stories from the old testament are so important in understanding the gospel and understanding jesus it's like reading the last chapter mm. only the last chapter of a book when we when we leave out the old testament matt yeah. what's your favorite book what oh uh i love um the book the marvel cinematic universe okay so the movie series not a book okay what's the difference <laughs> okay so you have marvel movies so if somebody just watched endgame like, yeah avengers endgame yeah yeah if they just watched, you shouldn't do that you should watch them all <laughs> okay but if they just watched endgame they could get an idea of who they're rooting for who they're rooting against what they want to happen and but they're missing so much of the story of the context. and context that goes into it. So that's the same thing as if we're only reading the New Testament and we're forgetting the value of the Old Testament. We mm -hmm. just want to make sure that, that we remember that is important and it kinda of helps bring these words of the New Testament from black and white and into color. Mm. So okay, you can keep reading. Okay. Jesus sent Peter and John Oh sorry. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Uh Oh, I, did, I didn't know there was another slide. Hey, look at this slide. There's a Passover. There's a Passover. Okay. <laughs> We're real good at this. Uh, where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. Okay, so Matt, what do you think of these verses? Okay, so 
basically, Jesus is sent off two of his disciples, two of the more famous ones, <laughs> Peter and John. He sends them off to the town and says, um, hey, we need a meal for this big holiday. We need, it to, we need a place today. So go into town, find this guy. He's got a jug of water. He's got it all set up. You don't have to worry about anything else. I promise it's ready to go. Yeah. Just go tell him we need a room. And then that jumps to them going off to the city, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's really it cool. Yeah. Okay, so it's kind of like it was all magic. Like they just, it was, it, was, yeah. it was magic that they found it. So I think we can, our first point can be that Jesus is magic. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, but seriously. <laughs> um, okay, so I think that this actually does teach us. That's Hagrid, by the way. If, Anyways, uh, I think this does teach us that we are called to follow God's guidance, even in uncertain circumstances. So I was, when I was watching this, uh, or watching, when I was reading this passage today, I was thinking about, you know, we don't get a lot of context for what the city would have looked like at the time and what, basically, how common was a guy with a water jar, right? Like, it was... Because there's two, there's two options here. Either guys with water jars are very common. So they go into town and they're like, wait, a guy with a water jar, that could be anybody. Like what, that'd be like if Jesus said, hey, go into Pier Park, talk to a guy with shoes on, and he will give you a, a room. And you're like, <laughs> every single person has shoes on. I don't know what to do. Or are water jars really rare? Like were they like, oh, my gosh, what if we don't find a guy with a water? What if it, like go into Pier Park, find the guy walking his cat, and he'll find you a room. And. And it's, so either way, it's but either way, there's like a trust that they have to have. Like, oh, I I hope he's right. You know. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't clarify here. No. Either way. They just did it. But I I agree. I can't help but like wonder what the disciples were feeling at that time, what their thought process was. I mean, they've been with Jesus for a couple of years now. So at this point, when Jesus tells them to do weird things like this, so they're like, ah, oh, that's just what he does. But trust me, it's going to be great. Or is there part of them that's still like? okay, here I go into the busiest town in our country at the busiest time of year to find reservations or a place to stay the day of the busiest festival. Like for me, I'd be like, oh, Jesus, you didn't, you didn't make reservations for a place already? Yeah, this is literally Janelle's nightmare. I'm like, okay, you forgot this year. That's okay. Let's go ahead and make reservations for next year while we're here. <laughs> or, you know, I wonder, you know, was part of them stressed out or curious? Is this actually going to work? And I think that that is something that we can all relate to. I mean, we all have those places and those moments where we're, we have plans or ideas for maybe how things should be set up mm-hmm. and how prepared we should be. And God's plan, that I find, is often different than that. And is that something that in those moments, you know, it doesn't say whether the disciples were completely trusting God or not trusting God because how they were feeling in that moment didn't really matter. What mattered is that they acted in faith, that what mattered is that they followed Jesus's commands, even in times where it could feel uncertain or maybe doesn't make sense. Right. And and in case it seems like we're making a big deal out of this part, this part of the story, like this is a story that's told multiple times in the Gospels. Like this is also told in Mark or sorry, in uh, Matthew and Mark. Um, So clearly there's something that we're supposed to be getting from this. This is a significant thing that the disciples went through. Yeah, and it's something that I think after the fact of those kind of moments in our lives, it's easy to look back and say, like, oh, clearly God was here in that time and in that space. But in the moment, can feel really overwhelming and uncertain. And, you know, we have the benefit of reading this story way after it happened. We have the benefit right. of knowing within seconds right. this all worked out exactly the way right. Jesus said. Right. 
But in the moment of going through that, I feel this way. Maybe other people do. It can feel like, God, did you make a plan? Right. Did you did you remember that I need a plan for my life too? And I do feel like this story is such a good reminder for us to relax and remember God has a plan even in these moments. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm I'm a movie guy, so I was thinking about yeah. So I was thinking about like a movie like Pirates of the Caribbean or Master and Commander, like a a, a big ship. You know, the guy steering the boat can't see everything, right? He's trusting the guy up in the nest. He's the guy that can see the land and the, the other ships coming and all the, the obstacles that are coming. And the guy driving the ship has to trust that guy. Right. He can't see what he sees, right? And so it's a similar thing. Like these, the disciples were having to be like, I guess Jesus sees a little further than I do. I'm just going to have to trust. Steer my ship accordingly. Steer my ship accordingly. Yeah, exactly. Or I think about I'm driving my kids around constantly or my sister's kids around constantly. And regularly I have these children ask me if I know where I'm going. You know, (laughs) you you know how to get to the park and we're supposed to turn here, right? And I'm like, not only do I know, but you definitely don't know. (laughs) And I was... that Woodrum blood. (laughs) And uh, it's one of those... Sorry, they're here. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm... Me too. Um, But it's one of those things where I hope that they can trust me. I hope that they can sit back and enjoy the ride. You know, we're getting to the same place regardless of what they're saying. But it's it's really their enjoyment of the journey. That's the only Mm. thing that changes. Right. Okay, Matt, let's keep reading. Okay. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So again, in these sections, we sort of jump in time. You know, we just saw that the disciples found the place and now we've gotten to the meal and Jesus at some point in the meal basically kind of drops a bomb of like, Hey, this is my last one. I'm not going to have this meal with you guys again. I'm not going to have it on this side of heaven again. Um, this is my last glass of wine, which can you imagine that being knowing that this is my last glass of wine? Um, (laughs) so yeah, that's, so that's basically what's going on here. Yeah. What, what stands out to me after reading these verses is that in verse 15, it says that Jesus is eager to share this meal with his disciples. And he goes on from there to give thanks to God for this cup of wine. He knows he's about to go through some serious suffering, some serious pain, and yet he's sitting here eager to enjoy this meal and giving thanks to God. And I feel like what we can learn from these verses is following Jesus' example of giving thanks even in the suffering. This is one of those things that... Yeah, sounds good on paper. Looks nice up there. Like it. Uh, But the reality can be really, really challenging. Matt, when you are suffering and you're in the midst of suffering, not inconvenience like the store doesn't have cream cheese again, but like suffering, (laughs) but actual suffering, what are your thoughts towards God in that moment? Um, Obviously, completely thankful, very holy, (laughs) no worries. No, I, I, you know, I... Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, in suffering. If I'm thinking, if I'm thinking about God at all in suffering, it's usually not great, right? I mean, I, if I'm being honest, like usually I'm so focused on the suffering that I'm not thinking about 
looking to God. And if I was looking at God, I doubt thankfulness is the first thing in my mind, right? It's probably, why did you let this happen? Are you even there? Do you care? Right? So that's, that's, yeah, Yeah. that's probably where I would go. Yeah. I I know that's where I would go. Yeah. And I, I have the tendency to feel similarly, you know, I have the tendency to question God in those moments or just kind of like, just gently remind him a mistake has been made. Like I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) I don't like this God. I thought you knew I don't like this, but yes. Um, or, you know, I wonder if it, this is a result of something I've done wrong or has God forgotten me? I knew it. He forgot me. He, He forgot me. Yeah. And again, like those are all best case scenarios. And I think that there is a worst case scenario that we sometimes go to, which is you're not real. Are you like Mm -hmm. you're, you're either, you're not real. None of this is real. Um, now if we put ourselves in the place of the disciples, they were sitting at a table with Jesus. They obviously weren't questioning his existence right there, but they probably, they could have possibly been, you know, thinking like, I knew it, like this guy is crazy. We're crazy for following him, you know? And that all feels very relatable. Like those moments where you're like, this is insane. What I'm doing is insane, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's okay for us to be honest about our natural struggles in those moments. I, I think it's important for us to not pretend that we have this all figured out or conform to any type of Christianity that says once we are Christians, everything in our life is good. Right. Jesus has shown there's suffering that comes with this. And we don't have to pretend that that doesn't exist as a Christian. Yeah, he, he's not asking us to not feel the natural effects of suffering. Right. But it's about trusting and being faithful even in those moments. Right. right? I, I mean, in fact, actually later in this chapter, we're not getting to it today, but later in this chapter, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, we're going to see that Jesus desperately pleads with God to take away a suffering, um, but then follows it up with, but not my will, your will uh, be done. So that's a perfect example to me of Jesus having this natural reaction of please, I don't want to do this. This is scary and hard. But then following it up with, but I'll do it if you want me to, basically. If this is your will, I'll do it. And then, and, and so he's showing that trust in God even when it's scary. And this is Jesus we're talking about, <laughs> right? And as far as I know, nobody in here is Jesus. So, uh, well, Jesus is in whatever. You know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, yeah, which takes us. This is why I don't go off my notes. <laughs> <laughs> which takes us back to what we were talking about earlier, which is being faithful even in the doubt. And this is being faithful even in the suffering. Right. Even in those painful moments, following the path, even when it doesn't make sense or doesn't feel good. And what I found in those moments of suffering is the ability to stop and be thankful for God even in the suffering. You know, it doesn't take the suffering away, but it it changes who we are in that suffering. Mm-hmm. Sure, I'm not super thankful for the suffering itself. I would love for that to not exist, but that's not really an option. But what is an option is for me to stop and thank God. Thank God for who he is. I look at Jesus' example here, and he is, seems genuinely thankful to be sitting at a meal with his friends. He seems genuinely thankful to God for this cup of wine and this bread mm-hmm. to eat. And it's one of those things where he's not stressed about the future. He's not saying, guys, we got to cancel this. I'm about, they're going to come arrest me. Like we can't be taught. What are we talking about? Things are about to go crazy. No, he's, he's present and he's in the moment. He's enjoying that meal and that company with friends. And I think that God has given us the ability to not take away the suffering, but to stop in those moments and thank God for who he is. 
we can live in the present in those moments and find things to be thankful for in those moments. Even if the thankfulness is just, thank you, God, for not leaving me. Thank you, God, for being with me. Because it's literally impossible for us to be alone even in those moments. Even in those moments where, I don't know, I think about those times where you're in so much pain, you feel like just breathing is all you can do. And we can thank God for the breath, even if that's it. Mm. But living this way relieves the pressure of having to pretend that we're not affected by suffering. Right. Of having to pretend that we're happy in the midst of suffering. If it wasn't painful or difficult, it wouldn't be suffering. Whether this pressure has been put on us by someone else or whether it's pressure we put on ourselves, we can let go of pressure to be happy in painful situations. And we don't have to be afraid to embrace the reality that life is hard. Yes, life is really hard sometimes, but God is with us and we are never alone. Our challenge is not to pretend that this doesn't affect us. That is not our challenge. Or to live in denial of how this affects us. Our challenge is that in those hard times, in those incredibly painful times of just breathing, can we be thankful to God for who he is? Can we follow Jesus' example of that? And this doesn't take the suffering away, but I do believe it changes us in the process. And this, this act of being thankful in the suffering is something that we see in the story of Job, and it's something that we see throughout the Bible. It's really right. not unique to this story at all. So do you want to keep going? Yeah, let's finish up uh, and read the last few verses of today's passage. So he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Oh, that was it. Oh, wait, you went back too far. Oh, I did? Oh, sorry. There you go. Thank you. You're welcome. Person behind the window. (laughs) Yeah. So basically here we've got Jesus uh, performing the first uh, communion, what we know as communion, which you're probably not shocked that that's what we're (laughs) talking about today. If you've been to Eastgate, you've you've seen the tables. But yeah, so basically, yeah, broken down to its most basic element this is jesus really performing the first communion right and you had mentioned before when we were working on this we have the advantage of time and looking back and seeing you know what jesus was talking about when he said this right right yeah he yes exactly like jesus knows what he's talking about right jesus says this is my body broken for you this is my blood and the now the disciples there probably would have known like uh, you know this isn't literal but still they probably were wondering but what is the metaphor here what is the symbol what are you talking about now we obviously know what it is but again if we're trying to put ourselves in the mindset of the disciples what were they thinking like what do you mean this is your body and your blood like you're right here you didn't take you know here's my body you know it was it was a symbol of some sort so what was what was he i'm sure they were wondering like what does this mean and also talks about a new covenant And a covenant is a word that we see as like maybe the title for certain Christian organizations or we'll talk about in church, but it's not a word that I'd say gets a lot of traction outside of church circles. It's a a word you hear growing up a lot. If you've heard it, if you've been in the church, you've heard the word covenant Mm -hmm. and you're like, yeah, covenant, got it, super important. But do we actually (laughs) even know what it means? Like, or is it just one of those words, you know? Yeah, I think it's important for us 
before we move forward to talk about what the word covenant means. Yeah, an easy way to think of a covenant is like a commitment. The covenant is a commitment that God is making with us. Uh, the, the good thing is it's not a God, it's not a, the covenant is not something God is making at us. It's not something he's forcing us into. It's something he's doing with us. We do it together. It's a, it's a promise we make to each other. Yeah. Uh, it's similar to, I think the closest maybe connection we could think of it to today would be like marriage. Like, right. um, did you know next week is our anniversary? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I knew that. <laughs> so next week we'll have been married 13. I knew because we've gone over this a few times. <laughs> <laughs> next week we'll have been married 13 years, which is exciting and crazy. But when we, <laughs> that's how Thank we you. feel about it too. Like, <laughs> but when we were, 13. <laughs> but when we were getting married and we were making that commitment, that was something that we were making to each other. That was us promising one another. Right. I promise to love you forever. I promise to stay committed to you. There's other promises, I'm sure, but the idea is that promise to stay married and be together. Right. And it was something it's a public commitment to each other. And it's something we both did. Yeah. It wasn't like just one of us saying, I promise to do all these things. And the other person saying, great, thank you. And (laughs) walking away. I received those promises and goodbye. And thank you. And now I'm going to live my life the way I want. Yes, exactly. Follow me around or whatever. Yes, it's it's a mutual thing. Right. And that's with the covenant. So the Old Testament covenant, the original covenant made with Moses and the Israelites happened right after they left slavery in Exodus. And God is making this covenant with these people. I promise to be with you. I promise to take care of you. And he's asking them for their side, please, you know, follow my commands and stay with me. This covenant, Jesus is, and and part of the festival of unleavened bread is remembering that covenant remembering why they are where they are is because of that covenant they made with God. So here at the place where they're remembering the old covenant, Jesus says, here's a twist. I've got a new covenant. And in this new covenant, God is promising to stay committed to us. And he's promising to forgive our sins. He's promising to never leave us. And in return, all we have to do is believe in him. And from there, from that covenant, from that new covenant, From there, we do our best to trust his plan and follow where God leads us. From there, from that covenant, we do our best to forgive others the way we've been forgiven. The the list of things goes on and on that God and us, we do together. But it all boils down to remembering what Jesus did for us, remembering his sacrifice poured out for us. And that is what we learn from these verses is that remembering communion and continuing to participate it in it is part of, <laughs> we are called to remember Jesus's sacrifice through the act of communion. That's why we constantly are doing communion. That's why communion has been celebrated for the last 2000 years. It started at that last supper and it has continued to this very day. It's continued to the other side of the world in this room today. It's a tradition that has remained important because it's like an anniversary or Maybe more than an anniversary would be like a vow renewal. It's saying, I remember this commitment that we have to each other. I remember, Jesus, your body broken for me. I remember your blood poured out for me. You are my anchor, and my life starts with you. Yeah, so if I can be honest, I actually always struggled with communion in church. I've grown up in church. I've been in church my whole life, and communion was always really difficult. How for me. So why? So um, 
when I was growing up, the way that communion was done was sort of the more traditional way of doing communion, which is, well, it was traditional for the time, for what I was in. I was in a vineyard. And, um, and I want to clarify, like, I'm not saying they did it wrong. I'm just saying this is how I, how I read it. So um, the way that we did it was more of a, like, you know, kind of classic. You, you're pa- you pass out the juice and the crackers, and you pray over it. And I would oftentimes, what would happen is they would say, come to the front and kneel. And I would just see people, like, deep in prayer. And th- sometimes they were crying. Sometimes they were, like, you know, people were praying for them. They were, like, and, and you know, and they're drinking the juice and eating the bread. And I, in my head, I would always try to do that. I would say, okay, great. I, 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 wanna, I want some of that. I want to experience God that way. And I'd drink the juice and I'd eat the bread. And I'd sit there and I'd say, yeah, it's still bad grape juice and bread. Like I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I had a hard time figuring out where the jump was. Like where, where were they, ex- how were they experiencing God through this thing? Like in this powerful way. Yeah, exactly. I think that makes sense. I'm sure you're not alone in feeling that way. I'm sure other people have felt that way. When, with leading worship, have you ever had people come up to you and say, I like worship, like the music or whatever? No, I've never had anybody say that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Have you ever had anybody say, I struggle with worship because I'm seeing these other people have this emotional connection, but I've just, that's never happened for me. Or I don't really like worship because I'm not really getting that emotional response maybe other people are feeling. What do you, what do you say when, when people say that to you? Yeah, so, well, I, usually what I'll say is I'll, um, is I'll say, you know, well, it's not really, that's not really the point. Like that's, we're not getting together to sing songs and worship so that you feel something good. Hmm. Now, I believe that we serve a God that is loving and great. And when you enter into his presence, it's a natural response to have an emotional response, but that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because God is worthy of praise. And because I think in a world, in a room full of people, like right now we're a room full of people who go off to different places. We have different beliefs. We have different things that are important to us. And that for a few moments in worship, we are unified. We are choosing to all say these specific words together in unison to God and say, we may not be uniformed. You know, we're not all exactly the same, but we are unified in this belief of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that's what I would say to them. I already know where you're going with this point, and I, <laughs> I, see, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Say it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's where I would say it's the same thing with communion, which right. could be considered an act of worship Absolutely. as well. Yeah. So I think all those things you're saying there applies to communion um, because this is not about an emotional response, right. and it's really not about us. Right. This is about remembering what God did for us. Participating in communion is an act of obedience. It's, an, it's doing this because Jesus commanded us to do it. We could literally be doing anything else in the world right now. We could be anywhere else. But at this moment, at this time, and in this place, we're here. We're here, and we can stop everything that we're doing and say, I remember. Jesus, I remember what you did for me. We remember that you died for our sins. And we believe you can save us. When we choose to do this, not only is this act of communion an act of obedience, but it starts that possibility of letting other places in our lives be an act of obedience as well. Mm. It's, it's an act of obedience here, and it from here goes to every other place in our life. And sometimes we can feel an emotional response from that 
from that prayer of like, oh my goodness, Jesus died to save me. That's unbelievable. And it can feel emotional. But sometimes it can just feel like eating bread and drinking juice. And that in itself is not nothing. That in itself is still an act of obedience. And it's right. still, right. I would say, everything. Yeah. Is there anything you want to add to this? No, I, I, I think that's really good. And I, I, I do think I've... Obviously, I've been missing the point on communion for a long time. I think I was waiting for, again, we were joking about magic. I think I was waiting for the bread and the juice to, like, magically transform me, you know. And what I have to remember is if we want to go back to the wedding thing, the communion's almost like the, the, a ring, like a wedding ring. Like this, I can take it off. Don't, totally. Get it. Too late. Okay. <laughs> this is, first of all, it's rubber. Like, this is not... Expensive. Anyways, um, but like the ring is not the marriage, right? Right. Like this has no power in and of itself. What it does is it serves to remind me of the magic of our relationship, right? Yeah. And so maybe that's, it. and when we take communion, it's similar. Like the, the communion is just bread and juice, but it, the act of doing it, it serves as a reminder of what Jesus did for us. Yeah. The magic of Jesus, you know, like, and I hope that doesn't sound like blasphemy. I'm just using it as a metaphor. <laughs> you have another thing to say. I have another thing to say. So when Janelle, when you are taking, sorry. So when you take communion, does it really just feel like drinking juice and eating bread and, and that's it or? Yeah. So it's, it's just drinking juice and eating bread. And the, the thing I would add to that is that I pray also while I take communion. You know, while I'm eating that bread and drinking that juice, I'm saying, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe in you. Or, you know, it could be more than that of like, thank you. I receive this as your body broken for me. I receive this as your blood poured out for me. I believe in you. I want to follow you. But it's always some type of variation. And then that's literally it. And on the outside, it might look as though nothing in my life has changed as a result from eating this bread and drinking this juice. But Really, everything in my life has changed as a result of this, as a result of this belief. And that's why it's really important for us to do this on a regular basis because this is the anchor to our faith. This is the reason we do all of this. This is the reason we're here. And that's why we make sure we do this once a month. I mean, Jesus says to continue to do it. He doesn't say how often. So some churches do it once a week, some every couple months. Like, it's okay. There's flexibility. We try to do this once a month, and that's why. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I, I, I truly like doing this teaching has kind of opened up what, why we do this again. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. For me. So nobody else gets anything? I did. <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's finish up here. Uh, let's remember to be present in the moment with communion. Let's remember that there's nothing wrong with being present in the moment and tasting that juice and eating that bread and just thanking God and thanking Jesus for a sacrifice for us. Yeah, we can remember that we can be honest with God uh, about our struggles and the things that confuse us, like communion. I, I you know, um, it, it won't be communion for you, possibly. It'll be something else, something that confuses you. And you can be honest with those things. And that God is with us not only in our suffering, but in our doubt. We never have to be afraid of bringing those things, our honest selves, to God. It's not what we think. It's not how we feel. It's what we do. And so the, the act of faith after that is what is, uh, is important. Yeah, absolutely. 
And let's remember that we can trust God even in those uncertain situations or those times in life where God's plan is different than our plan. We can remember that he has a plan for us. He's not forgotten us. You matter to him. Your life matters to him. That's why he sacrificed himself for us. Sound good? Okay, so you need to get ready because you're doing a song. Um, And uh, I'm going to pray, and then when I'm done praying, we have communion up here ready to go. So during the last song, if people want to come up and get communion, we have communion in the front. We also have a table in the back, so you can pick which one you want. This table in the front does have some allergy-free options, so if you have food allergies, this is the table you want to go to. And basically, I'm going to pray, and then during the last song, just help yourself come on up and get communion and, uh, and celebrate communion with us during the last song. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you for this time that we get to be together. I thank you for your sacrifice for us. Promise, we promise not to forget it. We promise to do our best to remember it. We promise to do our best to help the next generation remember why that is so important. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Death could 
up in communion we're going to say this blessing together before we head out of here today so we're going to read all of this together you want to join me may christ be a light to illumine and guide you christ be a shield to overshadow you christ be under you christ be over you christ beside you on your left and on your right both in this world and the one to come go in peace you children of god